We're in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Last week our class was different uh, due to the presentation uh, about Memphis. So we'll review just quickly uh, in chapter 2. We finished through verse 7 last time we had class. He begins chapter 2 talking about prayer. He says he exhorts, he encourages people to pray. And he mentions, he uses four different words, if you will, to describe prayer. And, and it's in a general sense. It's making special requests. It's uh, interceding, which is literally just a deep, just a begging of God uh, to do something on behalf of someone else. And then giving of thanks. He says, I want you to pray for everybody. He says, I want you to pray for your leaders. And we talked about the fact that praying for our leaders, that impacts all of our lives. Uh, if our country, if our leaders are better, then our lives are easier. Uh, so that's why he wants us to do that. Uh, he goes on to talk about the fact that God wants everybody to be saved. We talked in great detail about verse 5. Uh, there's one God and one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ. We talked about Jesus is our mediator in a lot of different senses. Uh, but in one of those senses is prayer. We pray through the name of Jesus. We pray through Jesus. To God the Father, in that sense, He is a mediator. He's a mediator that makes peace between us and God. And, and we dealt with that, and I hope you were here uh, to remember it. We said that, or Paul said, Jesus said, verse 6, Jesus gave His life a ransom for us. And He says, that's why I'm a preacher, verse 7. Jesus offered and paved the way of salvation for us. Paul said, that's why I'm a preacher. I want to share that with other people. He says, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not making any of this up. He says, I, I want people to go to heaven. I want to proclaim that good message unto those people. Verse 8, uh, he shifts gears in a sense. Verse 8 is going to be talking about prayer, but he's shifting gears to a, a, uh, a more public scene, if you will. Does God want everybody to pray? You guys can talk. does, right? He wants everybody to pray, male and female, right? Yeah, anything wrong with a woman praying? Absolutely not. I hope every one of you ladies pray on a regular basis. But in verse 8, he's changing gears again to a public setting. And he does so by changing words. And I made a PowerPoint today because I feel like that it will help us because I've got a lot of different scriptures I want to look at and points to make. And we may just cover verse 8 today if that's okay. Uh, I want us to get this. He says, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. He says, I desire, and the word desire is stronger in the Greek. It's something that this, this is what I want to happen. It's almost to the, the sense of a command. This is what you're to do. He says, I want men to pray everywhere. Well, we said that, that God wants women to pray everywhere too, but this is talking about in a very specific setting. You see, when we get to verse 8, we're talking about the public setting, worship, what we just finished just a few moments ago. And we know that because as we go on down and we get to verses 9, 10, through 15, it's talking about the different roles. Verse 8 is the role of a man and his part in, in the leading of worship. Verse 9 talks about the restrictions that God has placed upon you ladies. And it begins there, and, and he goes on, and he gives the reasons for those restrictions. But you say, well, how do you know that? 
You know, even people today, they, they, they buck the system, if you will, that God has put in place, and they try to change things. But the Bible is very specific. When the Bible talks about, I will therefore that men, I underline that word men, and I did that for a specific reason. I'm not big on getting into Greek words, and, and I, I'm not smart enough to pronounce English words most of the time. Sure can't pronounce Greek words. But sometimes the difference in a Greek word is going to make a huge difference in what the verse means. And I want us to get that. Men normally is anthropos, and I'm sure I'll butcher that. But normally, that's the word that's used. In fact, if you'll go back in chapter 2 and you look, in verse 1, he says, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, all these prayers, and look at the end of it, be made for all men. There the word is, is this Greek word. And it simply means a human being. That's all it means. A human being. You skip on down to verse 4. Who will have all men to be saved? It's not specific. The same Greek word here. A human being. God wants every human being to be saved. When you get to verse 5, there's one God and one mediator between God and man. The man, Jesus, it's this Greek word. There's one mediator between God and human beings, male and female alike. And he uses this same word to describe Jesus. Not saying that Jesus is not a man, definitely he was, but he's using this word to describe Jesus as human. He wants us to get that. He's a human being. Well, when you get to verse 8, he uses a different Greek word. He uses a word, and aner, aner, I, I don't know, but it doesn't matter. But he uses this word, and this word is very specific. This word is never used in Scripture for anything other than a male. Ever. Now, the other word, again, that, that's just human beings. It could be man, woman, it, it doesn't matter. It's just describing the human race. But this word is very specific. And did inspiration do that accidentally? You know, if God had intended for in the public setting for, for women to, to lead prayers, in the public setting, would he not use the same word that he's used three times in the chapter already to describe it? Does not, I mean, we're supposed to be reasonable people, right? We're supposed to rightly divide the Word of God. If God had intended for anybody, male or female, to lead in prayer, why change words? Well, because He's trying to tell us what God wants. And we need to understand that. We need to be very specific about that. So He says in verse 8 again, I will that men pray everywhere. He's saying, in essence, everywhere there is a public setting of worship Paul says, I desire that the men are leading that public setting of worship. Does that mean that God thinks us men are smarter? You ladies know that's not true, right? You know that's not the case. We've never claimed to be smarter. In fact, we're probably claiming a lot of times to be the opposite, right? That's not what it's about. We've not got to it yet, but you go on down in this chapter, God tells us explicitly why this is. He says, because the man didn't give in to the transgression, but who did? The woman. And again, we'll cover this when we get there, but, but I want you to look at what happened in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, you've got man and woman. Satan tempts. The man was supposed to take the lead, and what happened? 
Did the man take the lead? The woman took the lead, right? Because the Bible says Eve gave in to the transgression and she gave it to her husband. So in other words, she took the leadership role and she caused him to sin. And God says, because of that, here's your punishment. I don't care what people are going to tell you. People are going to tell you that, that God desires for men to lead the prayer. It says that, and I've heard this even in the church. People say it says that because at the time of the writing, women were not as educated as men. That's hogwash. Throw it out. It, it, it's not any good because God tells us exactly why he says this. So again, go back to this morning's sermon. Transform your mind. Start thinking about it the way God wants you to think about it and forget about what you think it should mean. It doesn't matter what we think it should mean. It doesn't matter what some educated guy with 14 letters after his name says. God tells us what it means. Don't overcomplicate things. That's what people do when it comes to Bible study. They overcomplicate it. They overthink things. God changed a word that literally means a male, and he says, I desire that the males are the one that are leading in the service. But he says, I desire that the men, they pray and they lift up holy hands. And man, that, is, that has caused a lot of people a lot of difficulties through the years. And, and people have got a, you know, a, a lot of different questions when it comes to praying. You know, do we need to come together in prayer and, as a church family? And, and do we need you know all hold our hands up when we pray? I was studying with uh, some denominational preachers one time, and, and, and we made the deal during that study. They said, no, we'll pray the Church of Christ way at the beginning, but you're going to pray our way at the end. Okay, whatever you want to do. And then they, they mocked me to my face. They said, you church Christ, you're the only people that stands up and prays other than the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18. I said, okay, whatever you want. I mean, you make fun of me, it doesn't bother me. But, see, people got a problem when it comes to this. People, some people think that you've got to bow down with your, with your face to the ground. Some people think you've got to get on your knees. Some people think that you know, whatever it is that they may think. Let me ask you something. Some of you, aren't you glad that God didn't say you got to get down on your knees with put your face to the ground? Some of you are going to have to get a lift in here to get you back up, right? <laughs> I mean, we'll be honest about it. And I may be one of them. Uh, but, I, I mean, aren't we glad? Yeah. So let's look, and, and I just want to spend a little time and put a lot of scriptures up here, and, and we're just going to see different ways that people pray. And I want us to understand that you will not find a divine prescription in the Bible of a specific posture. You won't find it. But you will find the same thing every time when it comes to humility and adoration, reverence, and those types of things. Standing. I told you that the man made fun of me to my face, said us and the Pharisees are the only people that stand up to pray, right? Is that true? In Genesis chapter 18, verse 22, the Bible talks about Abraham there standing to pray. Stood before God and prayed. Was there a man other than Jesus that walked the earth that was more faithful than Abraham? He's the father of the faithful, right? Abraham prayed in a certain way. I mean, you say that's the Old Testament. He still was very reverent, he was humble, and he directed it toward God. What about Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 26? Was Hannah humble and reverent in her prayer? What was she praying for? Somebody tell me. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Son, right? She wants a child. She is, she is, I mean, there's tears streaming down her face. She's in agony. 
And the Bible said she stood and prayed with God. She stood there and she prayed with her God. Is anything wrong with standing? Well, no. In Mark chapter 11, verse 25, and, and this is Jesus teaching. This is Jesus teaching people how to pray. He says, and when you stand praying. How do you argue with that? Is that something just that us church of Christ do? No. Jesus says, when you stand before me and pray, here's what you do. You forgive people if they've got all against you. And we're not into that right now. But look at Luke chapter 18. When you get to Luke chapter 18, you've got a Pharisee. And does that Pharisee stand and pray? Yeah. Is his prayer acceptable to God? No. Why? We said there's some things that are always the same. Humility and admiration and reverence, respect. Does he have any of those? No. That's why his prayer is not acceptable to God. But the Bible says that publican, his prayer was accepted. Jesus asked the question, which one of these men went down justified? Did the publican have the same posture as the Pharisee? See, sometimes we, you know, we just overlook that, don't we? We think, well, that Pharisee stood up there and he was loud and proud and he was wanted to be where everybody could see him. But the Bible says the publican standing afar off, he, he bowed his head. He wouldn't even look up to heaven and he, he smote his breast, God be merciful. He was, he was humble and he was reverent. And he realized who God was and he was coming before his presence. See, sometimes I think maybe we don't approach him in a uh, way that is reverent and humble enough. And now it includes me. Sometimes we kind of, you know, we make it a, a very impersonal thing and we shouldn't. You know, I've heard of, of youth groups before talking, calling God Big Daddy in their prayer. You think we need to call God Big Daddy in our prayer? That's not being humble and reverent, is it? That's not at all. And you won't see anything like that in Scripture. When you see somebody's prayer accepted in Scripture, it's from a heart that's right. Always from a heart that's right. And we'll get to that in a moment. Do you find in Scripture people that, that prayed just like, just like uh, what's talked about in 1 Timothy 2 verse 8? Well, yeah, absolutely. You know, in Exodus chapter 9, there is a plague of hell. And it is beating down the people. In fact, the Bible specifically says anyone or any animal left in the field, what happened? They were going to die. Only if you bring them in are they going to be saved. And God was very specific about that. But Pharaoh asked Moses, take it away, take it away, take it away. Well, and the Bible says that Moses spread out his hands unto heaven, and he prayed to God and prayed for the hail to stop. And the hail stopped. First Kings chapter 8, verse 22, Solomon is going to dedicate the temple. Remember, David had a plan. I want to build the temple. And God says, you can't do it. You shed too much blood. But your son will build it. Well, Solomon does all of that. He brings the Ark of the Covenant in. He's offering incense. He's doing all of these things that he's supposed to do. And he prays for the dedication of the temple. And that simply means uh, in India, when we've been in India, we pray uh, church building dedication. All that means is you're praying that it's used to God's glory. That's all it means. Nothing wrong with that. But he prays for a dedication. And the Bible says he spread out his arms unto heaven. He lifted up his hands and he prayed. Psalm 63 verse 4, Thus I will bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. Anything wrong with praying like that? No, there's nothing wrong. In fact, Jesus did that. 
Luke chapter 24, verse 50, Jesus has already been crucified. He's, he's come back to life. He is preparing to leave the people. And right before he's ascended back to heaven, the Bible says he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands, and he blessed them. Did Jesus pray and lift up his hands to God? Yeah. yeah. So, again, proper posture. What about the bowing of her head? Is that scriptural? You might say, why are you doing all this? We know all these things. I, I think it's important that we really know these things. And, and when somebody throws something up in our face, I wish I'd have had this list when that guy threw all that up in my face that time. We'd sit down and we'd went down the list. But I didn't. But we need to know. What about bowing our heads? Genesis 24, verse 48. Abraham sent his servant. He sent his servant. He says, I want you to go and I want you to find a wife for my son. Abraham was traveling toward the, the promised land, towards where he was going to go. And Abraham said, I can't find a, a wife for my son here. You've got to go back. You've got to go back to, to our people and find him a, a person, a godly wife. Well, he, that servant goes, and, and long story short, he finds somebody, and the Bible says that he bowed his head and he prayed for Isaac's future wife. He prayed that, that uh, those two would come together, things would be good, all of that. But he bowed his head and he prayed. Exodus chapter 12, uh, the last plague was about to happen. Moses is preparing the people for everything that's going to happen. The Passover is instituted, that they will remember all of this. And the Bible specifically says the children of Israel bowed their head and they prayed about the Passover. They bowed their heads and they prayed about it. 2 Corinthians chapter 29, verse 30, Hezekiah commanded the people to worship. And in commanding the people to worship, he commanded them to bow their heads before the God of heaven and to offer up their worship to him. And, and indeed, is not part of that worship prayer. Part of what we do when we come together to worship is we pray together. Luke 24, verse 5, it says, and they were afraid. And this isn't necessarily talking about prayer, but I put this up here to, to show us something. What bowing the head does. Jesus has been resurrected from the grave. These ladies are gone to the tomb to see if he's there, and he's not there. So while they're there, there's two angels that, that begin to talk to them, and look what it says about these ladies. And as they were afraid, they bowed down their faces, and they said to them, why do you seek to live in among the dead? Why did they bow their heads? Show respect, right? Show respect. Then they didn't realize, they realized that they were not worthy to even look at these angels, and in order to show reverence and respect, they bowed their head down in order to do that. And that's simply what bowing our heads does. That's why we bow our heads in prayer. It's to show respect uh, for God. Well, what about the opposite? What about the opposite? What about instead of bowing our heads, what if we're all doing like this, you know, and we're looking up? Sometimes we'd say, oh, no, we can't do that. That's not right. But what would looking up to heaven do as far as their prayers let me ask you something james says every good gift and every perfect gift comes from where the father above where's he at he's above so when people in scripture they are looking up to heaven in prayer what in essence are they doing they're looking to the one that's going to give the blessing they're looking at him and we can look psalm 123 1 and 2 it says unto thee i lift up mine eyes O thou that dwellest in the heavens, behold, as the eyes of servants look into the hand of their masters, and the eyes of a maiden under the hands of her mistress. He says, So our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until he will have mercy on us. The psalmist, in essence, saying, I'm looking up to heaven. 
and I'm pouring my heart out and I, I'm waiting for you to send that every good gift and every perfect gift down from above. That's what I'm doing. John 11, verse 41, and this is Jesus and, and He's brought to the tomb of Lazarus and, and Lazarus has died and, and Mary and Martha, they are struggling and they're weeping and, and the people says, oh, don't do this, Jesus. He's been dead four days. He stinks. Well, Jesus says, you guys don't understand. He says, you, you take away the stone where he's laid. And the Bible says, Jesus lifted up his eyes unto the Father and he said, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. Why did Jesus look up to the Father? He knew. He knew what was needed was going to come from above. So in essence, he is paying his respect and he is admitting to anybody around that's where it comes from. So not only does bowing your head show respect, also if I'm looking up to heaven and I'm talking to him, that's where it's coming from. That's where it's coming from and Jesus knew that. So there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, John chapter 17, maybe, or not maybe, the most reverent prayer ever said. He's praying for himself, he's praying for his apostles, and he's praying for us in John chapter 17. He's praying that once he's gone, all of these things will happen. I want you to look how it begins. These words spake Jesus, and he lifted up his eyes to heaven. He talked to God, right? And he prayed for the whole chapter. Prayed for the whole chapter. But he wanted to look to God because that's where, that's where the blessing came from. So can we do that today? Yeah, yeah, we could do that today. What about kneeling? We said we're thankful that God didn't say, thou shalt get on your knees and pray. You ever been on your knees and prayed? If you've never been on your knees and prayed, you've not been hurting enough. I can promise you that. You hurt enough, and you want something bad enough, you'll, you'll do anything. You'll get on your knees and pray. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing at all wrong with that. In fact, Psalm 95, verse 6, it says, Oh, come, let us worship, and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord God, our Maker. In fact, when you think about kneeling, you know, what is it that the Bible says that every knee will do before Jesus someday? Everybody's going to kneel before Him. Every tongue's going to confess Him. And it doesn't matter if you say, I won't kneel in prayer. You're going to kneel one of these days before Him. People that don't believe in Him, people rejected Him, people, what? everybody's going to kneel before Him one day. Luke 22, verse 41, Jesus, when He goes into the Garden of Gethsemane, He's about to be crucified and He's in so much agony. The Bible says when He's withdrawn from them for a about a stone's cast, he kneeled down and he prayed. You know when I told you a while ago, when things get bad enough, when you hurt bad enough, you'll get on your knees? Jesus was there, right? He was there. When he went into that garden, he was hurting. He was hurting. He had never, he's, he's God in the flesh. But this was a new thing for him. God doesn't die, right? But becoming a man, he was about to die. And that's the unknown for him. And remember, he laid aside all of those things, that omniscience, and he didn't know what this was going to be, how it was going to feel. And he's hurting. He's in agony. He's in agony. Well, Acts chapter 9, verse 40, it says, Peter put them all forth and he kneeled down and he prayed. He's going he's to raise through the, through the power of the Spirit, he's going to raise Tabitha or, or Dorcas from the dead. How does he do that? The Bible says he got down on his knees and he prayed. He prayed. Why would he do that? Again, humility. humility. A feel of great dependence on God. 
In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, the Apostle Paul begins a marvelous prayer. And I alluded to it in my lesson this morning. In verse 15, he says, I thank God you know, for the family. I'm praying for the family of God. But when he began that prayer in verse 14, the Bible says, he says, I bow my knees. And he prayed for us. He prayed that we'll understand the, the love of, of God that's in Christ Jesus. He says, although it's, it's beyond our comprehension, we can't do that, but he, he prayed for us. And in doing so, he got on his knees to make that happen. So nothing wrong with that. What about just flat out falling down on the ground with your face to the carpet? You ever seen anybody do that? I've seen people do that. And did that ever happen in Scripture? A lot of times. You know, when God was going to institute the covenant of circumcision with Abraham and God come to talk with Abraham, and Abraham is going to return that conversation unto God, you may say, well, he wasn't praying. If you talk to God, isn't that what prayer is? Maybe he, this wasn't a formal, uh, dear God in heaven. It wasn't, but he's talking to God. And in doing so, the Bible says he fell down with his face to the earth. Why would he do that? If God Almighty was speaking to you audibly right now, there wouldn't be a person in here that wouldn't fall down with their face to the earth. Not a person in here. That's where you would want to be. In the presence of the God of heaven, you want to you be reverent. You better want to be. I promise you that. Matthew 26, verse 39, again, this is Jesus. Remember, he prayed three times in the garden. First time we read, he kneeled to pray. Listen to this time. He went a little further and fell on his face, and he prayed. It got so bad for him in the garden. Remember what happened? His sweat became as great drops of blood. He was in agony, and he fell on his face. When we get to the point in our lives, sometimes maybe falling on our face be good for us. To, to humble ourselves that much. Luke chapter 5, verse 12, a man full of leprosy. You just imagine you've had leprosy your whole life and you find out there's somebody can heal you and you want to go talk to that person. What are you going to do? You're going to fall on your face, aren't you? You're going to show the utmost reverence and respect. What about us? I found this picture. I, I don't know who it is. What about us? The different cultures... Maybe pray in, in a different posture. I'll give you an example. The times I've been to India, we go in and there's worship, somebody leads a prayer, and a lot of times it was one of us leading a prayer. Every lady in that building would have a veil. And they would take that veil, and they, a lot of them would get down with their face to the ground, and they'd wrap it around their head, and they cover themselves. I've never seen one of you guys do that. Why? That's not our culture, is it? Paul dealt with that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says the church doesn't have you know, that rule. We're not putting that rule on people, but if you are in a place, in essence, this is all it's about. If you are in a place that that is the culture, you know what you do? You do what they do. If everybody put, every lady's got a veil on her head, Christian, you better put a veil on your head too and you better pray. There's times that we've been in buildings over there and, and we have to take our shoes off before we go into the building because in that place, in their culture, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, when Moses is at the burning bush, Understand that church building's not holy. It's not a holy building. But if they want me to take my shoes off, I'm going to walk in there on my sock feet. That's okay. And you see, here in this country, and especially within the church, we normally pray 
with their heads bowed. You know, maybe like some of these guys, maybe some of you men, you get down, you got your elbows on your knees and, and you're showing reverence. Would I be a distraction to you that if I was going to lead prayer tonight, I got up here and put my nose to the carpet and did it? Could that be even sinful? It would, it would offend some of you. In fact, one of somebody here told me not long ago about a guy that, that got up and said, uh, I know this is going to offend some of you, but he prayed in a different posture than anybody else prays. But do you realize when he said that statement, I know this is going to offend some of you, but I'm going to do it anyway. We don't do that. You see, different cultures are going to dictate, a lot of times, the posture that we're going to pray in. So this whole idea that we've got to lift up our holy hands because the Scripture says so, that's not what it's talking about. Again, it's talking about our lives. Our lives. And, and we don't have time, but you know, in James chapter 4, God is looking for a prayer that is humble, a heart that is humble. God is looking for a prayer from a righteous man. We quote James 5, 16 all the time. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Listen to this. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. When I lift holy hands to heaven... If we are living a righteous life, righteous life means I'm trying to walk in the light as he is in the light and he is imputing righteousness unto me. According to Romans chapter 4, he's imputing righteousness. And when a righteous man's prayer comes up before God, what happens? He hears it. When a, when a righteous woman's prayer comes up before God, he hears it. 1 Peter 3.12, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. Lifting up holy hands to God simply means you're lifting up a prayer of a righteous man unto God. I didn't even finish the verse. I apologize, but he says quickly, he says, don't pray with wrath. Got to get rid of that. We'll talk about that next week. I, I want to go into it a little bit. I appreciate your attention.